Welcome to On Air in the Cloud, the podcast where we interview people working with technology in interesting ways. This episode is number 14, and you are joined by Gregor Sotti, Matt Boyd, and me, Keith Atherton. Also, a word about our supporter, ESPC runs fantastic European Microsoft Technologies conferences, and you can learn more at sharepointeurope.com. In this episode, we're going to speak to Scott Giroux, who is a Power Platform Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. Scott, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, very good to be here. Um, yes, I'm, I'm Scott Giroux, and as you say, I'm working for Microsoft now. Uh, used to be an MVP, um, 11 years, uh, did, my, did my service, as they say, and um, yeah, I kind of had that uh, opportunity to really grow up with the Power Platform, saw it right from the early days back in the day with CRM and um, when when Power Platform was a, a mere twinkle in Charles's, Charles Lamana's eye. <laughs> but it's great to be here. And, um, you know, it, it's I, I love your podcast and, you know, I've been enjoying hearing, you know, what you've been talking about with uh, guests so far. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Very welcome. Scott, nice to meet you. Um, so you recently joined Microsoft as a Power Platform Cloud Advocate. So uh, how are you finding that new role and what does a typical week involve for yourself? Wow, I don't think there is a typical week actually, Gregor. I think, uh, and that's probably one of the things that I like about the job. Um, it's, it's a, in a sense, it's very similar to being an MVP, uh, except for you don't have to sort of find time to do stuff in amongst all the other stuff you're doing. Uh, and, and that can be both good and bad, right? Because one of the things I perhaps was a little bit nervous about was when you are when you have a day job to do something, there is always that risk, isn't there, that it will quell the the passion, perhaps. Um, but I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, well, actually, the very reason that I did all the things that I used to do with as an MVP was because of the passion I had for my day job. It wasn't like I was going off and doing some, you know, evening, like, I don't know, playing in a band or something that was completely unrelated. Um, I mean, I, that, I would love to do that, but it, it, it was very connected to everything I did in my day job and everything that I, I knew things I would learn or new techniques and new technologies I'd use, that would then really fuel how uh, it, it influenced the community activities. So that's really what I'm doing. And, and, uh, I'm enjoying being inside Microsoft because I get to work with some amazing people and see things behind the curtain as it were. Right. You know, um, but it does feel as though these are all colleagues of mine already because I've been working with them for so long and have some great friends there. So yeah, it's a, been a very enjoyable, um, opportunity to, to join Microsoft and, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where it'll take me in the future. But in the in the near in the sort of the near term, I'm just going to be continuing doing podcasting, uh, XRM Toolcast, and continuing doing YouTube and and blogs. Like I, I mean, I had the real pleasure and and um, privilege really to to do a blog on the Power Apps blog, uh, on the official Microsoft Power Platform um, Power Apps blog, which was. Yeah, I think that was in my second or third week, I think, when I joined Microsoft, which I didn't really, I wasn't prepared for, but that was, that was great. Uh, nice. Well, very good. Um, so 
you, you have been an MVP for a, a number of years before joining Microsoft, like you said, and you know, you're now working with people as colleagues rather than uh, in, in that kind of slightly more distant relationship, but you know, yeah. still quite closely. Um, were there any difficulties in your transition from being an MVP into being a Microsoft employee, you know, kind of any, any hurdles you had to overcome? <laughs> well, the, the biggest hurdle was on day one, I think I mucked up the password reset that I was given. <laughs> I think I failed the test that I was given by IT on day one. <laughs> um, I can't believe I'm admitting this really, uh, but there we go. So, but that, once I got over the, the password reset hurdle, um, I'd been working, I had, you know, my own consultancy. So I was essentially my own boss for sort of, well, over 15 years, I'll leave it at that. Um, I, I think I've capped everything out now at 15. I don't, I don't go beyond 15. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that was, a that was probably the, the biggest difference. I think not, it's not necessarily a hurdle or a challenge, but it, it, it takes a bit of getting over the fact that now I can't, I can't decide on what to do just com with complete autonomy. I, I do have an amazing, I dare I say, boss, April Dunham. And um, she's, yeah, she's great. And, and, but she gives us a lot of flexibility and we do obviously have targets and objectives to meet. And so we have to then decide on how we go to meet those objectives and targets. So in a sense, it's not that big a difference. And so that's what's special, I think, about the advocacy role is that unlike perhaps other roles, where you're very much dictated by a project plan and uh, a particular roadmap for the product or whatever. With advocacy, it's all about, well, we're trying to be an advocate for both customers and also internal engineering and PMs. And so as long as we work within the objectives, and my objectives is very much focused around the pro dev story and getting people onto Power Platform who perhaps don't consider it as an option or perhaps they don't they aren't really they don't realize that it's a software development platform rather than it being a low code platform because yes okay low code is part of it but it really being about this is a way of developing software in the same way as anything else is about developing software so if people are using azure and all of those services, it's just other another option. And so that's really where my objectives lie. So um, so now I, I get to work out how am I going to kind of spread that word. And um, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good coming on your podcast. So all your listeners can hear about it. <laughs> well, surely that that must have been a target from April. So yeah, well done, Scott. You're yes, absolutely. It, it has been, been high up on my priorities for a very long time. So when you reached out to me, Keith, I was very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. You know, after that story, I'm kind of tempted to to create some spoof power app for password reset now. But you know, we can discuss oh, that. Come on, I mean, not gonna, I'm not gonna let that lie. Are you really not gonna? Let that lie. <laughs> no, it's um, it's it's great. I remember the first time we met. It was at the the European Power Platform Conference in Dublin, uh, in June last year, and it was good. And it's funny. The more we spoke, like you mentioned there, we both got pro code background. Um, I also see with power apps the reason i've kind of transferred to it in the recent years is speed to market i can help customers quickly whether that be coding from the ground up or using a, a platform to help me do that 
another thing we talked about was we both had game development experience and you, yes. you actually created a video a while ago a very popular one where you'd recreated parts of lemmings or a few levels in lemmings within a power app something that's not really designed to do it's not a game engine um yeah. it was a very impressive video can you tell us a bit more about that video yeah certainly uh, yeah i love geeking out with you keith then i remember that it was great that we 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 connected and it was like suddenly we realized we had so much overlap in our in our past histories of how we got from a to b and how we'd come to work in the power platform so it was fantastic to talk about our backgrounds um and yeah games like lemmings i mean it's it's very retro now isn't it and it was interesting because when i put out the video I was surprised actually how many people knew about Lemmings because I was expecting a lot of people to say, well, well, what is this game? And But it, it does seem to be in the psyche of, of people who perhaps weren't actually at that point when they were playing games back in the day. And, you know, you've got GIFs and people use the GIFs and, uh, in social media. But, yeah, it, you're right. It's not a game engine. Power apps, you'd never choose to say, okay, well, I'm not going to use Unity. I'm going to use Power Apps to create my game because you don't. You, it's not the right distribution engine. It's not. It doesn't have all of the right constructs that you would use uh, to do that. But nevertheless, I, I think in in order to learn something, then you have to push something to its limits. And there's nothing like graphic gra graphical games to push a platform to its limits. That that is always going to be the way to do it. And uh, especially when you have to reach a frame rate. And one of the challenges with Lemmings is you've got all these little critters, you know, walking around. I mean, they don't really look like Lemmings, do they? They've got green hair. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I've not seen a green haired Lemming, but I'm sure your listeners will uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But the, the challenge is as to how do you create that amount of movement on the screen so all these sprites and they're animated sprites and they have all their own little behaviors so they can climb and they can dig and they can build walls and stop other yes that's exactly right but you know this is a podcast that doesn't work very well on podcasts but like the action of creating little little steps that they can walk up for other lemmings to follow uh so it's very much a strategic game you have to apply these different skills and you only got a certain number of skills per level and so if you use up all of your climbing lemmings before you need them then then yeah you have to then click on the little explode little nuke button and it makes all the lemmings just shake their heads and <laughs> blow up and then you start again and so yeah the challenge was very much like okay well how do you how do you get that working within a, a frame rate that's going to be playable because that's always the thing about games you have to make it playable and i think that's always the thing in the back of my mind um how do i how do i do something to make play and and that means you have to create shortcuts and creative workarounds and all of those sort of things so if you watch my video you'll see the thought process that i went through and uh, how i then solved it I, I started trying doing one thing and that didn't work and then i tried another thing and that didn't work and, and if I'm honest, I think that's where you get the most value out of this is trying one thing and then it failing <laughs> miserably and then moving on to trying a different one. And it's, it's that, that trial and error that, that creates that creative process that you then try so many different ways that you learn a lot about how Power Apps work so that when you do apply it to a business scenario, uh, you know, you, you're going to have a lot more options. And then I did obviously a 3D uh, driving game as well which was a completely different set of 
sort of different set of uh, challenges, you know, the 3D maths, how do you get the 3D maths to work in a performant way? But what I was very pleasantly surprised about actually is that Power Apps compiles down into JavaScript. So when you write this PowerFX, it's actually creating native JavaScript that runs in the browser. It's not a, it's not an interpretive language. There is actual code that's being generated in the same way as you'd have a compiler. You know, you write something in in C sharp and it compiles it down into obviously the into intermediary language and then that gets compiled and it gets jitted into native code. And so it it's a it is a, a very analogous and so really the the challenge is is working within the, that structure and working out how does that code uh, work and the constructs that you create in terms of like the sprites and all of those sort of things how what is the performant way of using those um, and yeah I kind of probably learned a lot about the JavaScript compiler more than I probably needed to um, in doing that. No, it's an interesting one. Yeah, thanks for sharing that and it's. As you say, I've, I've done similar things when I was very young and I, I saw Visual Basic 6 trying to recreate the Atari Lunar Lander, you know, which is a much oh, simpler yes. game if you, you know, dealing with gravity and some basic physics. But yeah, I think one thing you did well, I was going to ask, but you've covered it well, was the 3D racing game of dealing with things like intervals for frame rates. So when you've got the Unity or Unreal Engines, you might have an update loop as well as a fixed update for your physics too, but you've actually had to do the the maths yourself or the math yeah. to uh, to actually calculate that and keep it smooth running as well. So yeah, yeah, great job. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, you're welcome. I mean, that, yeah, that, those are the kind of the sort of the things that you learn about when you're building games for real, right? You know, that, then and then you can, so there is a bit of an advantage if you, if you go in cold writing games on, uh, in Power Apps, I think you, you, there's a little bit of a learning curve and, you know, there's a lot of great sites out there to learn about that and, you know, how you, why you need to work out delta time deltas to apply uh to to a game loop um so yeah i had a little bit of a uh, an advantage in that respect like like yourself keith scott um on your twitter slash x whatever you want to call it these days it says that x yeah <laughs> x microsoft mvp of microsoft cloud advocate father of the ribbon workbench what what's that please explain what's that all about <laughs> it makes me laugh. Someone made me change it to father of the work, ribbon workbench. It sounds so grandiose, doesn't it? It really is. It's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I suppose the ribbon workbench was one of those things that um, was probably partly to do with how I was awarded an MVP in the first place, just my work in the community. I used to be very active in the forums um, way back before it was... The, the forums today you know there were the msdn forums back then um and I, and I used to spend more time than than i probably should have done answering questions but i felt as though answering questions was the way I, the way to learn about stuff because if someone by by reading questions and trying to answer them you you benefit from other people's experience and then you but also you can help people so it's a sort of it's a two-way it's a double double win win isn't it um and before CRM 2011, there was uh, a way of building apps, which is effectively where model-driven apps come from. So model-driven power apps, they are the evolution of where Microsoft CRM was. It was a metadata-driven, so forms over data, views, tables over data, metadata-driven, 
all of those kind of good things that we see in Dataverse today and model-driven apps, security roles, business units, business rules, JavaScript on forms, all of those kind of things, they, they all really were harvested from CRM. And before 2011, there was a toolbar, and it was a classic toolbar across the form, and you had this save button, and you save a new, and there was like an isv.config, because it was on-prem. So it was all, you deploy it to your servers, and goodness me, that brings back memories, and setting up SPNs in, in, in Kerberos authentication. and But yeah, you had like a little config file that you added, and, and it was quite easy to create buttons, because it was a very straightforward little toolbar. You create a button, and that called a bit of JavaScript. Uh, and then 2011 came along and then this, the ribbon popped up. And uh, so if you remember the ribbon in Microsoft Office, this new thing that was either people loved or hated. It was, I remember lots of water cooler chats about how people would, oh, this is amazing. I love it. And then people were like, oh, don't like it. It's just too busy. And But the premise was that it dynamically changed based on what you were doing. So it was contextual and it resized depending on the, the size of your window. So it would shrink some buttons down from 16, from 32 by 32 to 16, 16, or even into an overflow. And there was groups that controlled that and, and scaling models that control that. So it was a real complex, complex piece. And it came from SharePoint, uh, the implementation that was put into 2011. And because it was so complex, there was this huge piece of XML that was crazy hard to actually create. Uh, and, and there was the only option to do it was by editing the XML manually and it wasn't only adding stuff it was also changing the behavior of existing buttons and groups and things like that so the ribbon workbench was a tool that i created just to solve that problem make it easy for people and yeah it just took off because everyone needed to do it because they were used to just doing isv config changes and suddenly there was this beast of xml and suddenly you know the number of users that were using it on a on a daily basis just skyrocketed and i was just like wow crazy and then it was like hundreds of thousands of people are now using this thing um and then it was in the microsoft docs and then it became the de facto and then it was in the microsoft learn content and then the, all the official courseware and i was like okay right this is happening then um and then yeah that that it moved on from there and it's still in use today I and mean, lo i look at the stats and i still update it and and i've got some updates that um, are working with internally with microsoft to to uh, to make some changes but there is a modern commanding alternative it's just there are some gaps that still need to be plugged so while whilst that modern commanding is still being worked on ribbon workbench is still going to be used for classic editing of that toolbar it doesn't look like a ribbon anymore but it's still effectively the ribbon under the, the covers so there we go there's a potted history um you know i could i'm pretty sure i've got there's a uh, youtube videos that i've done on this on the history if you want to learn more but that's why i am the father of the ribbon workbench well, that's a cool answer. <laughs> like it very nice uh, so uh, alongside the the ribbon workbench and your your power app games do you have any more kind of projects in 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 the wings maybe you know kind of another amiga game that you're porting in or or something <laughs> like that yeah uh well i would spend all my days just porting games to power apps even if i'm honest uh because <laughs> it's so fun and yeah then you have to apply apply the apply it to something real but um it's funny because I, I was participating in the Arctic uh, Arctic Cloud Developer Challenge, ACDC, in Oslo, which was a hackathon a couple of weeks back. And that was based on 
Super Mario. It's like, okay, this is this is a good this is I'm gonna do this. And so I started to write the original Mario Kart, you know, from from the uh Super Nintendo to move it over to to Power Apps. And I I got a long way and I got probably well, I got all the tracks in running in 3D because it's a different challenge to the way in which my power lapse game works, which is a which is a sort of vector-based 3D. Whereas the original was very much about um, the rotation of a bitmap in 3D, and that that's the way it worked. So everything was bitmap-based, and you, you 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 rotated it to to get the viewpoint. So I've got that all working. So at some point I'll finish that, and and you know it wasn't in time for ACDC unfortunately, but but I did write another game for ACDC, which was a challenge, which I was one of the badges that people had to get to create like a multiplayer game, and uh, so I could, gave them the starter. I gave them like, and it was it was based on the Hammer Bros from Super Mario, and it was like a, a maze you you throw hammers at each other and and it was all animated sprites and and the, the idea it was two player but it, the, the two player was just on the same screen so the idea is they had to take that and make it multiplayer so maybe using uh, web sockets from a pcf control or maybe using it's like a kind of a client server polling thing or you know the, it was anything that they they could do and you know and, and somebody won it as well which was uh, which was great so um but yeah watch yeah subscribe to my youtube channel and then you'll see <laughs> shameless so, uh, plug <laughs> yeah coming up next grand theft auto in a power app <laughs> yes we'll, we'll see. We'll wow see. that's the, that yeah i'm not, not sure maybe i'll get to that um yeah at <laughs> some point maybe keep it old school we'll have some land parties uh, with power yeah. apps you know <laughs> land <yeah>. parties. Goodness <laughs> me, i've forgotten about those wow <laughs> so um Talking of, of events as well, uh, you're one of the organizers uh, of the upcoming inaugural Canadian Power Platform Summit. Can you tell us more about that event? Yes, thank you for that opportunity to plug it. Um, it, it is like you say, it's the inaugural Power Platform, Canadian Power Platform Summit, and it's based in Vancouver, the beautiful Vancouver, which I live very close to. And the idea was, is that we have a the MVP summit in Seattle, which is very close to Vancouver. So we got all these amazing experts from the community uh, coming together and well, it would be a great opportunity to have an event just after that. So people can come and, you know, maybe and speak as well and, and network and, and, and uh, generally just, yeah, do community, have that community uh, sense in one place and in a lovely city. So it's on the 16th, of March, which is just after MVP Summit. And you can go and get tickets on um, CanadianPowerPlatformSummit.com. Their tickets are almost gone uh, unless we open up another wave of tickets, which may happen at some point. So um, if you, I, I don't know when this published date of this, this podcast is going to go out, but um, you can go and check to see if there are any tickets if you are in that area because it's going to be we've got an amazing lineup and talking about power apps and power pages uh and and we're dataverse we got some kind of pro dev stuff as well as low code and of course ai in there um lots of ai topics and they'll always be the uh, the the um the popular ones i expect and um and yeah just an opportunity to network with people as well very cool. 
So how do you think, Scott, that the Power Platform development will evolve going forward using things like Copilot and, and AI? How do you think the platform is going to change itself? You mean, how is it going to be changed by AI? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I think it's been changed a lot, actually. I think if we look back to a year ago, you know, and it really isn't much further than a year ago, is it? I mean, it's crazy to think how much investment has been made in Copilot, in Power Platform, in such a short amount of time. And how the things that we've seen, and just looking at obviously PVA uh, moving now is being the features of PVA are all folded into Copilot Studio. It's not a rebrand because I mean a lot of people think oh it's just a badge stuck on PVA and it's now Copilot Studio. But really, when you look at it, it's just a completely new product because it does so much more with generative AI and the fact that you can kind of build apps using low code and. You can at, create copilots and embed them in your own applications, and and with Windows copilots and with M three sixty five copilots, the whole ecosystem of how we use software, I think, is is shifting. So, I think that's probably, in my mind, the 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 biggest change here is that it's not that we're looking at specifically power platform changing; it's looking at how we use software, how we expect software to function is is changing. And that's that has I don't think I've ever seen as big a shift in, in people's expectations is that I should just be able to tell the system what I want it to do and it will do it. I mean a year over you know just over a year ago that if you had said to someone you'd be able to have a conversation with a business application and it would just you know, apologize if it got things wrong and, uh, and, and give you information that, in a way where it would just automatically take the response from an API call that came back in JSON and automatically create an adaptive card for you and display that for you without you needing to do any programming. If you, if you thought of that, people would have thought you'd be crazy, right? So, it, yeah, our expectations of what the power platform can do, should do, and what software in general, I think, has shifted. And that's probably unlocking the key to how power platform is, is changing going forwards. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so alongside uh, father of the, the ribbon workbench, uh, your your Twitter or X bio uh, in your profile, uh, you also have uh, Pro Code No Code Unite. Um, what, what does that mean? And can you give us a bit more information? Yeah. Um, so this was a hashtag that uh, Sarah Lagerquest and myself came up with uh, back in, it was uh, 2019, I guess it was, a Scottish summit, in fact. Because at the time, low code was being hammered to to death in in from a marketing stance you know and it wasn't just microsoft it was the industry in its entirety that this was the new thing so in a sense in 2019 low code was what ai is today it was the buzzword of everyone's talking about um, not as impactful it was more perhaps vaporware at that time than than anything it was more like a notion 
that people should be able to to change to create applications without knowing how to write software and knowing you know it's about enabling everybody to write create applications but because of the marketing message there was a somewhat of a backlash from what you might call professional coders professional software engineering people who dedicated their entire life and their education at at expense you know paid their way through university and 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 had many years of experience under their belt and and uh, dedicated their life to honing their trade to be told you know what when you don't need to be an expert and you can anybody can write this stuff and that caused somewhat of a a rift and there was a bit of a weaponizing of of hashtags right so there was this kind of uh, less code, more power hashtag that was being used pretty much in, you know, they're being, yeah, uh, everywhere. And, and then, then that was just winding everyone up and from a pro code. So, and Sarah had some fairly, uh, uncomfortable interchanges on, uh, on, on Twitter. And I think she saw, she said, so once she said, uh, any code equals technical debt. And, uh, you know, that was, that caused a storm. I mean, and, and it's, and the funny thing is, is that Sarah and I've discussed it since, and she came on one of my YouTube videos and we talked about it and, and we've talked about it on, she came on the XM Toolcast a, a short while ago on my podcast with Daryl. And we all agreed that it, it's actually true. <laughs> Code does equal technical debt, right? I don't think anybody, any, anybody would disagree. And, but the difference being is that, you when you when you're using power platform to create applications and business solutions there's no difference you're still developing something and still creating code it's just that it's at a higher level of abstraction and that means that there is less maintenance there are less there's more guardrails around security there is perhaps uh, a, a, a larger number of people perhaps that have the skills to pick it up going forwards. But it's not going to be replacing those professional developer needs because that's part of the what used to be called the fusion development story where, okay, I've pushed the platform as far as I possibly can from a from a low code sense, from a power effects perspective. And okay, well, we need, in order for, to have this as performance and and have all, having it, uh, you know, all of the things that perhaps the platform can't do, that's where you need to have professional developers and that, and it's coll- about collaborating together. So we were trying to unite both sides and, and introduce this idea. And that's really where that um, that hashtag came from. And, and, and these days, I think, it's much more about it's a software development platform. That's the key. You know, Power Platform is not. I, I'm trying not to think about it as a, a low code platform. I'm thinking about it as a software development. And as part of that, there are aspects of it, only aspects which allow you to do things in a much much more efficient way with less code than perhaps if you had done it using professional development. But there are other areas which you would need to use C Sharp or TypeScript or python or whatever you're using and, and combine it with with azure and i i do both right so i've got a lot of open source projects where i've got you know typescript stuff and hardcore you know things like that and but equally i'm 
embracing all of the other aspects that mean I can be more more efficient and I can be more productive and have less things to worry about. And if there's less things to worry about, I'm I'm on board with it. So that's what the hashtag's about. Perfect. Thank you. And it's interesting. I've I've heard some people refer to sometimes parts of the power platform as Lego blocks. You've got these pre-made things you can stick together, you can configure in many different ways. And as you say, a lot of that is done for you. A lot of the rote things you would go through by routine, you would scaffold every time in a project is just ready just to pick up and use. And you could build something in minutes that might be code first, that would take hours or days. You know, it's, it's that, um, again, speed of development that it can help as well. Um, in fact, I heard someone mention recently as well that they felt that canvas apps were technical debt inherently because mm. you need so much power effects in general where the model driven, you, if you generate a lot of the UI automatically based off the tables of the entities, then you're just good to go straight away. You've not had to author much or any code in some cases. So it's yeah. quite an interesting one. Yes, absolutely. There has been somewhat of a renaissance of model driven apps recently hasn't there and you know the pendulum swings back and forwards <laughs> it, does, it does and they're certainly powerful and it's great again even faster to market if you can just plug it into those tables and if it's all the basics you need you're just up and running so quick so we we um where i work we ran a hackathon fairly recently and anything model driven was just ready to go very very quickly um but talking of the pro code low code that 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 you was talking about there um would you see any benefit at the moment you can use pro so apologies this is a bit power platform heavy here um digging into the weeds a bit so if you want something code first custom code pro code whatever people use the term you can have web resources with javascript you could have a pcf which is a very specific thing which is a component you can use within an app let's say would you see any benefit or any other thoughts around if powerfx which is quite like a an excel formula type language at the moment quite accessible to, to citizen makers, people new to this, who are not professional developers, would you see any benefits or way that could be extended to have, say, OO capabilities for the benefits of solid as an optional use? Or do you think it's good that things are segregated and pro code has its place? Well, it, yeah, that's a that's an interesting that's a that's an interesting question because in in many respects I see the way in which PowerFX, the language evolving is, is, is very, cause it's very declarative, right? So it's about saying, um, having the ability to have a whole load of data that you will have a number of different formulas that are always active all the time in the same way as you've got an Excel spreadsheet. You know, you've got a, you don't, in an Excel spreadsheet, you don't expect to press a button and then it goes and calculates one cell and then it goes and calculates another cell. You expect if you change a formula, it changes everything. You know, all of the different dependencies, you can have so many com complex chained different ex expressions that use multiple different expressions in, in, in a chaining dependency way. And so that declarative nature of power effects it, it 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 sort of it's a shift so far away from that imperative oo kind of way of thinking that it 
for me, it just seems so different. It doesn't, it doesn't even kind of fit with the way in which you think about programming in that traditional OO sense. It's, you have to, you have to have a mindset shift. And it's funny because sometimes the people who do uh, traditional software engineering are actually the ones that perhaps have a hardest, the hardest job learning power effects because it, it's that functional declarative way of programming changes the thought process. And especially now we've got where you've got actual named um, formulas inside PowerFX and PowerApp. So you can actually create your own form functions, user-defined functions as well, and with parameters. And that was the kind of last piece of the jigsaw. And in this exactly the same way as in, X in Excel, you can have formulas that you can now use um, in your, in your uh, Excel spreadsheets. So I don't see OO programming as being something that is relevant. I think that's the key. It, it's not like, oh, should it have OO concepts? I just see it as it's a, it's a, it's a completely different way of programming that doesn't need to have those concepts because it works in such a different way. Yeah, and no, I really appreciate that. It's kind of some random deep technical question thrown in there. Certainly, as you mentioned, name formulas, and we see things like user-defined functions where even supports recursion and things as well. So we could yeah. see some kind of overlap to an extent. But as you say, declarative, imperative, totally different uh, concepts there. But no, thank you. Scott, you mentioned the XRM Toolcast podcast earlier on. Tell us a little about that. You're one of the organizers. Give us a little bit of background to that. Goodness, yeah. How long have you got? Um, <laughs> I mean, it goes back a long time. And I'm a co-host with Daryl Lavar, and um, you know, he's a he's a fantastic uh, uh, kind of developer, and and he's written so many different um, tools, open source tools for the XRM Toolbox, which is a uh, a, a tool toolbox uh, which has plugins that anybody can write and there's like a repository we can down these plug download these plugins and it's for power platform so it does all sorts of things all the way from managing custom apis all the way to doing different you know do it showing you what the differences are between different environments deploying solutions or uh, or even generating code you know that you're going to use for your for your own plugins and things like that so initially it started off with like looking very very specifically at xrm toolbox topics and like looking at tools and that's still very much a core part of what we talk about but more recently i think we've we're, we're looking at a little bit of a broader view of power platform in general and uh, and we are we try to have an interest that spans perhaps closer to that point i was talking about before about power platform being a software development platform and therefore in order to do that we talk about other aspects not just the pure coding we talk about low coding things we talk about dataverse um so we've got a uh, we've got an episode coming up on comparing pro code c sharp plugins and dataverse with low code data dataverse plugins and, and which are written using power effects that you know keith and i were just talking about so yeah we tried to talk we tried to create a, a broad uh, a set of topics and you know have fun and it's very like casual like much like you know yourselves and you, and hope at some point some of the listeners will find something that's interesting um 
you know, we 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 have a couple of listeners at least. So, <laughs> but perhaps in your in your show notes, perhaps you can put a, a link to it. And um, yeah, we're on YouTube actually as well. I mean, we we do we do video as well. So we're on Spotify and we're on Apple and 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 uh, Google and um, you know all of the all of the usual suspects. But you can see us if you want to talking and doing our various different hand gestures and facial expressions on YouTube. Very nice. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure uh, some people will, uh, will uh, listen in. Um, so apart from uh, hosting the podcast and uh, writing games in Power Apps, uh, what else do you do outside of work to for enjoyment? Well, I live in a pretty amazing part of the world. Uh, I live as I said, in Canada, close to Vancouver. And Vancouver, this part of the world in British Columbia is just so beautiful. Uh, it's kind of one of the, it's one of those places that you can be in a t-shirt down, downtown, just enjoying the sunshine. And then in the afternoon, you can be skiing up the mountain. And um, yeah, it, I feel very privileged. And so generally, yeah, outdoor activities and hiking, um, actually where I live, Got, we've got some local mountains and some amazing hiking trails that um we we regularly go up and and then we'll have, there's the beach and so we do water stuff you know um paddle boarding and we've got there's an inlet that goes inland and so we go wilderness camping by canoeing down the inlet and you know that you can just bundle your tent and stuff and hope you don't forget your food and <laughs> And paddle down for a few hours and then find somewhere to pitch your tent and stay there and um enjoy the yeah enjoy just enjoy enjoy the peace being off grid for a while um and and then yeah uh skiing and and, and all of the other things that uh, the outdoors has to offer sounds amazing you could be working for the tourist board as well um, <laughs> Maybe they need a power app. Who knows? Um, <laughs> well, yes, they should do. <laughs> or power pages, rather. But uh, so, do you uh, do you have any upcoming events? So you mentioned ACDC before that you've previously done. But any other events or speaking uh, um, gigs that you've got coming up? Anything you want to promote? Um, yes. So I would like to promote the AI Hackathon um, at Color Cloud in Hamburg um and uh so that's going to be I'm, I'm doing some i'm doing a session actually on some pro code topics there but in the hackathon we are kind of it's a classic hackathon everyone comes together and learns from each other and gets to geek out and learn and use some stuff that they've always already been using or learn new stuff and and see what they can build in in a day and what uh you know what solutions they can bring together as a team i think that's what's that's what's so cool about hackathons is it's as much about teamwork as it is about the technology and so i'm uh helping assist i'm sitting with that and judging it uh, with chris huntingford and, and will dorrington and uh yeah really looking forward to seeing what the teams will be able to to produce in that day and and then yeah the next day a full day of amazing sessions from all the speakers so do check out their website and come along if you uh, if you can if you're near hamburg or if you can travel 
Absolutely, yeah. I'd certainly love to make that one. And as you say, hackathons, you know, a lot of fun, really good. See what people can create in a short space of time, almost like a game jam, you know, if people have taken part in those. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a really good place to uh, wrap things up. So, um, Scott, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Where can people follow you online? Yeah, thanks, Keith. Uh, Yeah, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn. So if you search my name on LinkedIn or or uh, on uh, X Twitter uh, at Scott Duro and uh, and on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and just uh, search for Scott Duro, you'll see my YouTube channel there and see all of the the crazy game stuff I've been doing, as well as some serious stuff as well. You know, like <laughs> I do I do do other things other than just <laughs> building games, <laughs> despite wanting to only build games all day. Yeah, I know the feeling. It's like you know, there are some commitments you have to honour, but yeah, besides that, you can you can you can have a play around with the games here. Yeah, but I'd love to hear from people. You know, if if they have interesting angles on the how Power Platform is evolving into more of a software development platform rather than thinking about it as just low code and and that whole messaging, I, I really I'm always interested to hear from people. Fantastic. And I'd highly recommend people do get in touch with Scott. So we'll leave it there. Thank you everyone for joining us. Subscribe wherever you're hearing this episode and we'll see you all next time. Take care.